You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only Son that all who believe in him might have eternal life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have been given to be our King and that you have proven your worthiness by laying down your life for us. As we think now on your kingship, grant us to be so transformed by that good news, by your word, that we might glorify you with lives of true love and service. We ask it in your most holy name. Amen. So, we celebrate Christ the King here as the capstone of our church year. And as we do, as kingdom people, there are ways in which we are to walk. But there are missteps we can take on the journey. And I'm going to focus kind of on two of them. One is, of course, to ignore Jesus and do nothing, he says. And the other is to do what he says, but do it in the wrong way. Now, of the first kind we're going to talk about here, to ignore God and what He says, there's two ways you can do this. There's the pessimistic way, and then there's the pious way. Okay, so the pessimistic way works like this. What? Look at the world. The wicked prosper, and there's no advantage in being virtuous. Ah, leave off this following after God stuff. This is what the people were doing at the time of Malachi, and it's what the Lord is addressing in them through the prophet Malachi. Now understand, outwardly, these were all participating in what they call a theocracy. This was the pride of these people. They were part of a religious people. And outwardly, at least, they were still doing all the things that good Jews do. At least some of them. At least enough of them to get by and be noticed by their neighbors as doing the right things. But they were fundamentally being disobedient to God. And we sometimes, as Christians, we have little sayings we say back and forth to each other. Things like, God's delays are not God's denials. And we usually say that to encourage somebody who's, you know, to be persevere in prayer or something like that. But in today's reading from Malachi, the Lord assures us that that's not only true of His grace, it's also true of His judgment. And the temptation to do what is right in our own eyes is as old as the garden. Sounds a lot like, I can decide good and evil for myself. I think there's a tree involved in that story. That we should decide for ourselves what is good and evil is complicated because when we do that, we are 
face, we come face to face with reality. And reality specifically of our human nature. Not the nature we wish we had, but the nature we actually have. And the reason why so often we do things that end up resulting in evil down the road is because only God lives long enough to see it. Some of these things, these seeds of evil that we plant or the wickedness we do in our lives and what we think are little ways will gestate and finally come to flower and then beyond that to fruit generations later, long after we're dead. And only God lives long enough to see the full arc of the story. So God commands us to do what is right in His own sight, not because He's a tyrant, but because only He has the sight to know what is truly good. So to just flat out ignore God is the pessimistic way of not doing what God says. Then there's the pious way. The pious way works like this. I go to my Bible study. I go to worship. I tithe my cumin and my dill, as the Pharisees would say. But the Word of God becomes something that's remote for me, and I never let it get in and touch my heart. Transform me. So that my loves become God's loves and my hates become God's hates. So that my will becomes more to do what is right in His sight than in my own. That I value Christ's esteem more than my self-esteem. So I'm willing to own up to my sins. Not so I can feel bad about myself perpetually, but so that I can hear the good news of my forgiveness and be equipped by God to do better by His Spirit and by His Word. So there's the pessimistic way of ignoring God and the pious way of ignoring God. Then there's the way of heeding God's words as king, but changing the focus in such a way that we live in a perpetual state of anxiety. When I first became a Christian back in the 90s, I was reading lots of books, both for and against Christianity. And the atheist books I was reading were primarily arguing that I shouldn't be a Christian because Christianity wasn't true. Now that was something that the Christians would respond to and you read back and forth and you came to the conclusions you come to by the grace of God and I ended up where I am. But today, if you go on YouTube, the atheists mostly aren't arguing that Christianity isn't true. They're mostly arguing that you shouldn't be a Christian because it'll make you feel bad about yourself. And it's, it's akin to saying, don't become a great piano player because practicing is boring. Because sometimes you have to practice rather than do this other thing you wanted to do. God calls us to do things that transform us but we too often remain untransformed by the gospel we hear, by the good news of who God is and what He's done for us. And this is why there are so few good kings in Israel. Read your Old Testament. Not many get a star. <laughs> it's why there were so few good Christian emperors. We celebrated one last week, Justinian, but most of them... Uh, why there were so few good elected leaders here in the West, although it, until five minutes ago, historically, this was Christendom. 
We need to be drawn in by God's grace. And then when we are drawn in to keep our feet on the path without creating this perpetual anxiety that we're simply feeling bad about ourselves, then we need to keep our eyes, as Bishop Jonas said, on Christ. Because here's the subtle way of making your life miserable as a Christian and being a member of His kingdom. It's to keep focusing on yourself instead of focusing on Christ. You know, psychologists have discovered that there is no difference in your brain chemistry between thinking about yourself and being anxious. Quite literally. If you're you're anxious in social situations, I'll save you $85 an hour. Here's what your psychologist is going to tell you. Go into that situation and think about what would make someone else comfortable. The minute you stop thinking about yourself, you get less anxious. Now the way this plays out in the Christian life is what one pastor I heard recently call adverbial faith. Now I can hear you all saying, Pastor, I hated diagramming sentences. Why are you bringing up adverbs? At 10, 12 on a Sunday morning. Here's the way it works. And you may have even heard pastors talk this way on the radio or on a television show. It goes like this. How do you know you're really committed to Jesus? The emphasis falls on the really, on the adverb. How do you know you're truly a committed Christian? How do you know you're deeply in prayer? How do you know you were believing with all your heart when you asked for that miracle? That will create anxiety. I guarantee it. Because you're focusing on your energy and your efforts And you're making your faith the one work you do for God. And I love the way this pastor said it. He said, it's moving the goalposts. Now we're thinking of our standing before God as relying on the sincerity of my effort as opposed to the greatness of the King. Biblical faith, by contrast, is prepositional faith. The emphasis is on the prepositions. You are in Christ. In Christ, God is for you. And that keeps our focus on the one whose grace is beyond all measure and whose goodness is beyond question. See, it's much better to have a weak faith in a strong Savior than it is to have a strong faith in a weak Savior. A lot of people have a lot of conviction about a lot of things they think will make the world a better place and save them. That's strong faith in a weak Savior. Because if I ask myself a question, if I keep myself focused on those adverbs and say, have I really done it? Am I truly committed? Am I deeply, deeply, deeply in love with God? The answer is probably no. Probably not. Not like I should be. But His grace is bigger than all of that. And that's the point of the gospel. We may have a weak faith, but we have it in a strong Savior. And He can do for us what we could not hope to do for ourselves. Remember, you're not saved by your faith. You're saved by grace through your faith. 
And it reminded me of a story I heard a search and rescue guy from the military tell me um, there had been a, uh, a disaster at sea. And the sea was too stormy for them to send in boats to rescue the people. I mean, 30-foot swells, crazy stuff. And so they were sending in helicopters to get these people out of the water. And um, one of the last people that they were going in for was the, the, the last person they saw. I mean, they, they, she had floated away from the general wreckage. was this really tiny, very weak woman, uh, older lady, who was clinging desperately to a life preserver she hadn't even managed to get on in the emergency. And if you've ever done even rudimentary training on this, like I used to be a high school, and back in high school I was a, a swimming pool lifeguard. If you ever train like this, you know the biggest part of your job is to get them to stop panicking enough that you can save them without getting killed yourself in the process. And so this guy was, was, came down the rope from the helicopter and he's in the water and he's trying to get her to calm down. He's like, like, I need you to stop. I need you to stop thrashing around. I will get you safe. Listen to me. Listen to me. Can you do this? Can you hold on to that rope? I've, I've got a rope here. There's a red dot on it. Can you grab that rope? Hold on to it with all your might. And that's what she did. She held, okay, okay. And she grabbed onto it. And as she did, he fastened the snaps and the harnesses and things around her. And he gave the thumbs up and they got lifted up into the helicopter. And as they were going back to land, they were in the shelter of the helicopter, she said, oh, I was so scared. I was so scared. I know, I know how weak I am. I knew, it. I, knew I was going to let go and I was going to fall back into the ocean. And he said, honey, you couldn't fall back into the ocean because I had already put the harness on you. It never relied on your strength. I don't have enough strength to do that in this weather. You putting your hands on the rope was just to give you something to do. <laughs> I, by wrapping the harness around you, you were safe from the moment that harness was snapped in place. And that's how we are in the grip of God's grace. We have weak faith in a strong Savior, but He is indeed strong. And we can never be lost from His grip. We can never be lost from His grace. That's especially important for us to remember on a morning like this when we think about our commitments to Him. We do what we do out of love for Him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, not because by our doing we will add anything to what He has done for us. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord Jesus, You have done more than we could have ever asked for or imagined. You've not only freed us from the power of sin, death, and the devil. You have made us secure by your grace. Inspire our very weak faith. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Teach us your will and your ways. And may we, out of pure gratitude, pure love for all that you have done for us, do more than the world would ever expect of us. And so show forth our trust in you. We ask it in your name. For you live and you reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever.
Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light.